Welcome to the She Yearns Podcast. I am Terry Strange, and I am so thankful you have joined us today. Thank you for being a part of this community. The She Yearns community exists to lead women to desire more of God in everyday life, making Him evident and desirable to others. Welcome to the podcast. If you have been listening to any of the previous podcast episodes or following any of my social media, you know we've been in the recovery phase of Hurricane Harvey forever that struck the Gulf Coastal region of the U.S. since last August. And we just finished working alongside a disaster relief organization called Eight Days of Hope that came partnering with over 4,000 volunteers and thousands of dollars to rebuild about 800 homes. So we did a lot of work with them. It was fabulous. We personally pulled out walls and insulation and cabinets and all that kind of stuff, and we started rebuilding it. And it was tons of fun to get to participate with that. But in our own personal situation, it's a little bit different. We are fortunate enough to have insurance. Currently, there's a lot of work going on at my house. Finally! And we're thrilled. I can hear feet moving and everything is out of place. We had to box everything back up. The furniture is out of place. There's plastic everywhere, up the stairs, down the stairs, because the ceilings are being repaired. It smells terrible. All kinds of fumes are everywhere. And even the electrical is having to be replaced. Finally, it's being dealt with. I am super excited about the chaos and the progress in spite of the increased disorder. I can see a light at the end of the paint can infested tunnel. It means that in a very short period, my wreck is going to begin to take on the shape of a real home. The walls will be in place, the paint will be dry, and I may even get to hang some pictures and some curtains for the first time in a year. It is about time. All this emphasis on my house has drawn me back to Psalm 101. This psalm, for me, is the gold standard for the inner workings of our homes. Not the aesthetics of our houses, but the actual structure of how our homes need to operate. It's a short psalm, only eight verses. I want to hear it in its entirety and then sort of pull it apart. So let me read it so you can hear it. I will sing of mercy and loving kindness and justice to you, O Lord, I will sing. And this is David speaking. I will behave myself wisely and give heed to the blameless way. Oh, when will you come to me? I will walk within my house in integrity and with a blameless heart. I will set no base or wicked thing before my eyes. I hate the work of them who turn aside from the right path. It shall not grasp hold of me. A perverse heart shall depart from me. I will know no evil person or thing. Whoso privily slanders his neighbor, him will I cut off from me. He who has a haughty look and a proud and arrogant heart, I cannot and will not tolerate. My eyes shall look with favor upon the faithful of the land, that they may dwell with me. He who walks blamelessly, he shall minister to me. He who works deceit shall not dwell in my house. He who tells lies shall not continue in my presence. Morning after morning, I will root up all the wicked in the land, that I may eliminate all the evildoers from the city of the Lord. Well, let's get into the passage. I will sing of mercy and loving kindness and justice to you, O Lord, will I sing. We can't separate God's holiness from his loving kindness and his mercy. These all have to go the same. The problem is, I think so often we think, how could a loving God allow such 
evil in the world or my cousin to get cancer or my mom to be treated that way or my child to suffer or you know you fill in the blank we may not even be able to voice these deep-seated distresses but it's it's sort of a common phenomenon and too often in our suffering and in our grief which are very real and possibly just our pure ignorance of the reality of our own sinfulness we forget who God is and what he has done. The better, more accurate question I must remind myself to ask is how could a loving God show mercy to me and not give me what I deserve? I don't like that question, but that's the question that is more accurate than how could God allow this particular ailment or disaster to happen? And I have to remind myself that he showed me mercy. He showed me grace to you also and someone had to pay and that was Jesus because God is all these things he is mercy he is loving kindness and he is just he provided a way for his love to be demonstrated through the just payment of his own son and David is saying I'm not like him <laughs> therefore I will sing his praises that is the setup in verse 1 David's responding to God's character because you are merciful and loving and just all at the same time, I will respond in this way. We have the same kind of call to respond in Romans, where it says God has demonstrated his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So it's sort of the same thing in the New Testament. So we too are called to respond to that character. What should our response be? Well, that's what this psalm is about, with the focus on our personal walk and how it plays out in our homes David walks us through this conscious choice. I think it might be because he realizes this is where the rubber meets the road. George Whitfield was once asked about a certain fellow's character. The question was, what sort of man is so-and-so? Whitfield said, well, I really can't say for I've never lived with him. Isn't that the truth? There's a lot of truth in that sort of response. So he goes on in verse 2 and says, I will behave myself wisely and give heed to the blameless way. Oh, when will you come to me? I will walk within my house in integrity and with a blameless heart. David recognizes what God has done for him. And he talks about in other places how he's rescued him from the pit, how he freely forgave him, taken him from being a measly shepherd boy to a valiant warrior and a king, given him a life that is beyond his wildest dreams when he's really messed up big time and he remained merciful, loving, but completely just. So because he knows who God is and recognizes and appreciates what God's done for him personally, he responds by making these distinct choices with his life and his home. Now, David doesn't always practice his own declaration here, but the man has a plan. <laughs> We've got to give him credit. The man has a plan I will live a life above reproach and I will make my home spotless, undefiled, and without defect as best I can as an imperfect human. Scholars point out about this psalm that it is presented as a plan laid out for a king, yes, but also as a model for the people to live by then as it was written, but also a picture of the kind of character you and I are to emulate as followers of Christ. The question would be, how many of us would be confident that if our pastor could walk through our homes, would they find it to be an environment conducive to blameless living? What if we made the same choices in light of who God is and what he's done for us 
would we respond the same way that David has done here? What would our lives look like? What would our homes look like? This is a psalm we really need to visit and revisit. The question for us is, how should I walk in my house? How should I walk in my house? I want to present to you key questions. That's how I've organized it. Key questions. So key question number one comes from verse three. I will set no base or wicked thing before my eyes. I hate the work of them who turn aside from the right path and shall not grasp hold of me. Key question one is, what am I setting before my eyes and allowing to be set before the eyes within my home? We need to think about these things. What are we allowing into our homes? And because so much comes in that didn't used to come in. That would be clearly things like TV, movies, things like that. We have to understand we have sole responsibility for this. You and I are going to be held accountable for what we allow in, what we participated in, and what we gave a green light to, including what we endorsed by our silence. Too often, we can believe the lie that says we must do the same kind of things non-Christians do in order to reach our culture. We are very familiar with this phrase, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. But I think sometimes it, that's not exactly what we're doing. We are not preaching the gospel. We are being too much like the culture because it's comfortable. If we're watching the same kind of movies, if we're drinking the same kind of stuff in the same kind of amounts, if we're proclaiming the same kind of habits in a humorous way, and we're doing it in the name of evangelism, something is amiss. Something is amiss. I think we might just be doing what non-Christians are doing because we like it. Enough people Enough people wear the t-shirt and post their stuff about what they're doing and they're Christians. We look out and we see other people doing it. We can become desensitized and we don't see anything wrong with it. Plus, we want our peers to think that we're cool and able to engage with the current population. That's not evangelism. It will not make your life enticing for the gospel because you and I choose to live and look just like them. Because when we do for finally use words to share the gospel, it really won't make a dent. Our lives are not gonna look any different than them. We wanna live lives that are transformed and look different and sound different. That is what the gospel is and should be to those around us. And it starts in our homes. It's gonna be a reflection of how we feel about God's character and what he has done for us. How can I say that? Well, it's what David chooses in this verse. So we're gonna to have to evaluate and take an inventory of what we're watching and what we're allowing in, what substances are in our home, what kind of habits we are participating in and allowing to occur in our homes. We're gonna to have to take an inventory because some of this might be fine. You might look around and go, you know what? I think we're doing just fine. I think if anybody were to come in my home, they would clearly see and understand that we're living for the gospel and they could see Christ in us. That's great and exciting for that to be happening, but you want to make sure that that is happening in your home and that is what you're reproducing in those that you are responsible for. I think sometimes... <laughs> When we're, when we're looking at things, we just won't, don't want to be desensitized to it. If you can't watch something 
until or do something and tell your grandma who's holding Billy Graham's Bible without her blushing or sweating, then um, maybe we need to rethink it. I think more often than not, it's the ordinary and mundane that we've just learned not to recognize as sin. And we need to ask God to give us eyes to see, first of all, and then give us a distaste for it because it really does taste good. And we really need to develop a distaste for it, not a humor to excuse it, but a distaste for it. Some of you might be in this far and fear that this is simply legalism got amok. Well, let's consider the source. David, if you will recall, is an artsy, heart-playing songwriter at the very core, and he's extremely imperfect. To put it mildly, and the first verse out of his mouth is, let's sing. So I don't really think we could call him a legalist, per se. He has a rare balance of emotional response coupled with a follow-through needed to live a world-changing life for the kingdom that God commands in his imperfect nature. All the more reason to take to heart what he's saying here and follow his advice. Verse 4 says, A perverse heart shall depart from me. I will know no evil person or thing. Whoso privily slanders his neighbor, him will I cut off from me. He who has a haughty look and a proud and arrogant heart, I cannot and will not tolerate. Key question number two is, what are the ground rules for going out and coming into your house? These are ground rules that you would have for adults and kids. First of all, we want to address the people that you go out with. These are going to be people from school or work that you go out with. You're going to ask yourself, are these people a perverse heart? We're not talking about you should never be around people who are not believers, but they're not going to be your closest advocates and friends. You're going to go out and do things with people. I mean, this is the model of the gospel message. These are not your closest friends. If you're going to be going out and participating in things that are filled with foul language and foul actions, and you're going to be in places you might not ought to be, that would be a good reflection on Christ and on you, then it's possible that you might not need to go. So your solution in that situation, when you are invited to participate, is to say, I'm sorry, but I'm busy. I cannot go with you that evening. I'm not telling you to make something up. You're going to need to find a way not to participate in that evening event or that afternoon event. Eventually, they may stop asking you to engage with them. Don't disengage with lost people. Don't disengage with lost people who do lost stuff. But don't do lost people's stuff in the name of evangelism. Jesus was seen eating and dealing with lost people, engaging with them. He wasn't smoking crack with them or going to lewd places with them, giving approval to their sin. Do you see the difference? There is a distinct difference. You still want to engage with lost people. The people who you invite into your home is the second part. You're going to have some ground rules for yourself for going out and some ground rules for people coming in. Absolutely invite lost people into your home. Absolutely. Because that is how you bring people into the kingdom. We do this over and over again. They start out lost, but they don't end up lost. So you want to absolutely do that. But you want to make sure your closest friends that you're bringing in into your inner circle are not lost. That, that you're going to have some people in your 
in your path, and David talks about this later in the psalm, we'll get to it, that, that your closest friends are chosen wisely. So let's say, this is another part that happens, especially if you're a parent. Let's talk about if you're a parent. You've got things happening in your home that you might not be able to control because a lot of times evil comes into your home with the person, for example. We had a sleepover one time, and this is before I really had my boundaries in place. Before I knew what had hit me, I had lost complete control over the technology, and I never got it back on that occasion. I was very green in this area. My friend Leanna, she had the same experience. She had a sleepover at her house, and it was a group event. It was a sanctioned event. It was from her church. Before she knew it, she didn't even know what happened at the time. A group of girls had watched a movie on a device. She had no idea, but she would never have given approval for that. And now these girls have done something and she's responsible because that's the bottom line. At the end of the day, you and I are responsible for what happens under our roof. Since those learning experiences, she and I have put some things in place in our homes. And I have several friends who've put some boundaries in place and practices. So I'm just going to share with you a couple of things. When my kids come over at some point, electronics are checked into me. We restrict movies and technology at different times. We keep accounts on our kids' phones. We know who they talk to, when, and how long they're spending on different apps. No one buys any apps without our approval, those kind of things. And with my spouse, he has an app that has to go through a friend, a brother, and it goes to me, any activity he does on his phone that's online. And so those kind of safeguards are in place as boundaries. They're not as a big brother type thing, but they're boundaries. Key question number three is, what am I doing to actively pursue avenues and relationships that feed my soul and help me build a blameless house? What am I doing to actively pursue avenues and relationships that feed my soul and help me build a blameless house? This comes from the next verse. My eyes shall look with favor upon the faithful in the land, that they may dwell with me. He who walks blamelessly, he shall minister to me. You want to choose friends who push you further in your relationship with God, not hold you back. You want to hang out with these people, invite them in. Find people, learn from them, ask them how they do life, check their habits with scripture, of course. And if it lines up, do, do likewise. That kind of thing. You also want to fill your house with materials that reflect those kind of values, all those kind of habits. That's, that's really all I want to say about that because I don't want to run out of time. The fourth key question is this. How am I protecting my home from the bad guys or serving as a watchman over my house? Because he then says at the end, every morning, every morning, I will put to silence all the wicked. I will cut off every evildoer. David takes this as his responsibility, and we are given that responsibility over our homes. Most of us have a strategy for keeping our houses secure, like an alarm system, or you keep the bushes low around the windows, and the doors and windows shut at night and locked, or you have a dog or lights installed against the house or the street or a gate or something like that. And so if you were at the strange house and you were going to try to come into the strange house, you will be very disappointed because you're going to be attacked by something likely shot. And that will be quite a surprise because we do live in Texas and we are aware of our rights and you're going to enter at your own risk and it's going to be a painful one. Just know that because I can't keep the bad guys out, but I can make sure that my property does not look inviting and I can set up a plan to leave them badly injured for messing 
with us just in case they think about coming back and telling their friends. Now, I can speak to this because we had an incident a year ago where there was a bad guy in our neighborhood who had scoped out the area for a couple of weeks and my friend texted me and said, he is in your bushes, where are you? And glory to God, we were not there. As soon as we got home, we cut those bushes down to the nub and our neighbor's bushes because no one is going to be hiding in our bushes and we wanted to communicate very clearly we are on to you you need to skedaddle and he did he did he moved on so we have to have a strategy for dealing with protecting our homes the same way because the bible clearly tells us that the enemy is looking for someone to devour it is a given it is not perchance maybe going to happen. It is a given. So you and I have got to have a strategy for dealing with that in place. The second thing we've got to do is be on watch and serve as a, a watchman. And the best way I think we do this is we pray. We start every day on our knees and ask God to do these things. Make us aware. Make us alert to wickedness, our own wickedness, our tendencies toward evil that might be around us. We ask Him to make us aware of those and to give us a wisdom about what's going to be thrown at us for the day and how to protect those entrusted to us and the courage to make the hard choices that are among us. Because dealing with sin is hard. God knows that and He will give us the strength. He promises to deal with it. I don't tell you that it's easy. I admit that it is a hard thing to do what David is calling us to do, but he calls us to it. It is our responsibility. I'm not responsible for making you okay with my choices and how I'm going to walk blamelessly with integrity in my own home, nor am I responsible to bend my stance to make some punk kid think I'm a cool mom in those situations. David is saying, I will be diligent over what's been entrusted to me, regardless of what it looks like to you. We must be diligent. Your enemy is roaming the earth to see who he might devour, just like a bad guy is roaming neighborhoods, holding stakeouts to determine which property is the easiest to target and which house is the least protected. And you don't want your house to be that one. If we understand that God is all love, all mercy, all just, and somewhat comprehend what he's done for us, our response should look somewhat similar to David's, that we choose to live a life above reproach. Wherever we are, take it up one notch. Choose to create and walk in our environments in integrity. Choose today and then choose it again tomorrow and pick up where you left off and choose it one more time. We can do this with God helping us this is his call on our lives and he wants us to be successful in following him in blamelessness what is god saying to you today about having a blameless heart and who you are and what is he saying to you about how you should walk in your home in blamelessness thank you again for tuning in today we will be releasing a new episode every week i would invite you to become a subscriber and it really makes a difference when you share something here that you find helpful or encouraging. You make an impact. You may never understand the value or difference your suggestion or encouragement made in the life of a friend or casual acquaintance just by passing a resource along. So please share what you find here with others. I would personally be grateful. Don't hesitate to like us on Facebook or Twitter or leave a review. For more truth-saturated, gospel-centered, 
spiritually insightful encouragement, please go to www.sheyearns.com where you will find reading plans, articles, and other resources to help stir a desire for God into your everyday life.